I know this was a long-winded, probably over the top, but it's my story. Basically a story about how I lost and found the real reason why I lift weights. I hope that someone finds some worthwhile lessons in this and is able to avoid some of the pitfalls that I fell victim to. I find that those who compete in a sport like powerlifting often have some demons buried deep down. Don't let your rules rule you and drag you down. Use the barbell to overcome them, not feed them. Paul O'Neill. What's going on, guys? This is MDLP, the Battle Axe Podcast. I am your host and very humble servant. I'm here with my co-host, Johnny Banks. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back. Thank you. This is, uh, I think, any episode that has a guest is special to us. The fact that anybody wants to sit down with us for two hours is amazing. <laughs> Let alone hear our bullshit. <laughs> but... Um, I think it's a special guest to me, not only on the professional level, but on a friendship level and also on the sports strength or strength sports level. Um, our guest today is Paul O'Need. I met him when I joined PRS and from then on we became close friends, not only working together on the nutrition basis, but also somebody who I reach out on a consistent level to talk methodology, concepts, philosophies, and even basic exercises. So all the way from Canada, Calgary at this point, uh, Paul, Hello. Oh yeah. Hello, how's it going? <laughs> Did I say that? Did I say that that little snippet? Yeah, you wrote that in one of the articles when you uh hit your uh your um you went off the platform, you recently competed. You saw what I did there? Mm. That's very clever. I don't even remember writing that, but that's good. I'm gonna keep that one. Yeah. Hold on to those moments. I just I just brought that in and just hit you right in the heartstrings. <laughs> oh man, that's good stuff. So yeah, so thank you for having me. Appreciate it. It's uh, been a long time coming. Yeah, man. How long have we been talking about this since Nam? I think I don't know if they have Nam in Canada. Um, you guys never fought in that one. No, it's like a, we, it's like we, a very we skipped over. The yeah, you guys don't know. <laughs> I think your wars are very very yeah, angry. Like hugs. a maple syrup battle or something like that. I don't know. Paul, our but, wars are emotional. <laughs> <laughs> the worst kind. Polly, uh, thank you for coming on, man. I think it's been um, a been a cool concept, and honestly, and so me and Paul are good buds, but I'm gonna try acting a lot like I don't know you in the sense because I'm really happy to have your professionalism here and your ability to bullshit, but also be well respected, which I think personally. It's really hard to find nowadays in the strength community. Um, people are so busy taking themselves so fucking seriously. And then at the same time, they um, they also want to be funny and they get all confusing. You're somebody that I've, I've cherished the concept that you can be funny and comical, but very serious and fucking smart at the same time. So... We're going to be dropping some... What, is that your dogs? Is that what that is? Yeah. He's a <laughs> He's purring. Oh, <laughs> like, no. I thought it was me. Hey, we're going to get like 10 more listens because of that. I'm going to put... Hey, if you want to hear dogs... Like, Yo, this guy's breathing so heavy. <laughs> yeah. Like, I was like... Well, first of all, uh, I have a sinus infection, and so you're going to hear snot. But now with that puppy purring, I'm all right. And I'm 260, so everything sounds yeah. kind of like a dog just drooling all over the place. Oh, we're basically just two fat guys here exhausted from talking. I'm trying to, like, keep them. <laughs> Paul, so let me ask you something, man. Um, we're at, we, we went through a list of questions that I think is, is pretty kick-ass in the sense of we always, we generally don't have a script, um, but obviously we wanted to give you some very important questions. Me and John came up with some. 
And then we had some of our uh, people on Instagram come up with questions and things like that. So we're going to be getting a bunch of good ones. But there's one I really, um, we want to start off by by just asking your general history. I know that we were going to get into general specifics, but if you can just give a, a quick recap of just some of the experiences you've had, like as far as school and then all your and then some of your competitions, I know you squatted some big shit, and I, I know I like hearing it all the time because I'm never going to squat that anyway. <laughs> sure, man. So I uh, I went to university here in uh, in Canada, my hometown in Ottawa, at the University of Ottawa. I graduated um, in kinesiology. Uh, most of my focus was on um, the environmental aspects of exercise physiology, so uh, exercising in um, – different environments like altitude heat cold that sort of thing um and then after that during that process uh, you know, i played basketball in high school in my freshman year and then transitioned into football and then into strength sports and uh i always loved training more than i loved competing in the actual team sports because uh, i felt like it was something i always had full control over so i just kept training i was always quite strong never really competed and then um when I decided that I wanted to be a strength and conditioning coach, I did the research and was like, if I'm going to be a strength and conditioning coach, I want to go, you know, balls deep. And who is the best person that I can learn from? Who won coach of the year last year? And at the time, uh, USF, University of South Florida, um, were ranked fourth in the nation. And their strength coach, Ron McKeefrey, had opened up internship positions. So I said, you know what? I'm going to work for the next eight months and I'm going to save up enough money to move to Florida for the summer. So I did that. I worked like five jobs, you know, barely slept that whole deal Shit. and uh, saved up like 12 grand and was like, you know, this is going to be it. I'm going to move to Florida for the summer and then I'm going to come home and I'm going to start a business. While I was there, um, I had the opportunity to learn from Coach Ron, uh, Frank Wintrick, who's now the head football strength coach at uh, UCLA, and then uh, Mark Hickok, who's now the head strength coach at the University of Vermont. And uh, still keep in contact with, with them and was very lucky to actually get into grad school at USF. So I was able to continue my internship. And while I was there, I applied for a bunch of jobs, ended up getting a, a graduate assistant position at Robert Morris University in Pittsburgh with Coach Todd Hammer, um, who I still keep in contact with. That two years of my life was probably um, the most influential on in me as a coach and as a person. Um, and then from there, I uh, I had to move back to Florida to finish that degree that I started. Uh, worked at the University of Tampa uh, as a strength and conditioning coach as well uh, with Coach Just, uh, Justin Thiel, who's actually still there. Um, and then once I graduated with my second master's degree, I got a head strength and conditioning coach job at Queens University in Kingston, Ontario. I was there for about eight months. And... Uh, Decided that that was enough for me and I didn't want to do the collegiate strength game anymore. So I still coach mostly online, um, do seminars like I did at Battle Axe and also run a seminar with Jay Nira and uh, Jordan Shallow and um, work a day job like a normal human being, except I get to work from home, which is pretty dope. Uh, which is uh, which gives us the awesome benefit of watching your 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 bags of meat online, your your Frenchies oh, dare anyone say it's a pug, pug and they die. <laughs> I oh, just, if anyone calls my dog pugs, 
It's like a you fight. That was my favorite thing to just send you memes on. about pugs. <laughs> I'm like, isn't this dog cute? You're like, shut up, fuck you. I'm like, oh shit. Okay, let me send another one. Um, but uh, I started competing. Um, it was actually Coach Ron while I was at South Florida. He's like, Paul, man, you're a great coach, but why should anyone respect you? And I mm. said, oh. at first, coming from someone who I greatly respect that was kind of like a shot in the dick yeah but I was like I was like you know what like let's step back here I am undergraduate education I never played collegiate sports I don't compete in anything I'm just big and strong who cares right why is a first round draft pick third round draft pick who's gonna be making millions of dollars gonna listen to me Mm. and I said okay well then I'm going to compete. I can, I can control that. I can compete. And it was probably the best thing I ever did for myself as a strength coach is if you want credibility from someone, you need to show them that you're, you're pushing yourself and you're pursuing something greater than yourself just as much as you would expect them to do it for themselves. So if I'm asking you to go run, you know, five, 300, 300 yard shuttles, well, I'm expecting the same kind of consistency and effort from myself as I am from you. Maybe not in the same domain, but it's still applicable. So but Yeah, certainly. It's a, there's know. an honesty communication there. I'm sure like athletes can see right through fake coaches. Absolutely. Absolutely. Not only that, give me the opportunity to experiment on myself in terms of training modalities, recovery modalities. Um, you know, I still do quite a bit of conditioning and stuff like that, so... You know, experimenting on those things with myself and, and I still continue to do that with my athletes like the fact that I can say that I've both coached at a high level and competed at a high level I think sets me apart in some way and then on top of that the, the, the postgraduate education um, you know I feel like I'm selling myself a little bit right now but I'm, I'm quite proud of that yeah man um, and uh, and I think it, it does set me apart Um but switching back to kind of what you said at the beginning about, you know, taking yourself too seriously, I think a lot of people get caught up in trying to show how much they know. Um, and they, they end up taking themselves too seriously where the, the real people, that old adage of the more you know, the less you know. Mm. Well, I, I always will maintain that I have a ton to learn. I always want to be a white belt, no matter how much experience I get. I always want to keep learning, and uh, and that's the that's the attitude that I've, I've noticed from those people who are most successful around me is they always want to learn. They're always open to criticism, critique, and uh, they're always trying to pursue something greater. They're never happy where they are, um, and that can be both a strength and a weakness. But I'm sure we'll get into that later. Yeah, and and I mean to piggyback on that, I was mentioning it, I think last episode, but even like when with the that's my that's my uh, puppy snorting. I don't know if you I don't know if you like that, Paul, but that's me and my snot. But anyway, um, <laughs> I think I was mentioning last time, like you know, we've had some podcasts here, and I still enjoy the fact that I get pretty excited to hear from people. Like I was excited to have you on here. I mean, having Dave, Dave, Brian, Stu, like. I was very okay with the first 30 minutes of me sounding relatively giddy because I finally felt like the sponge again, you know, and I think yeah. as a coach and a, even a relatively high level athlete, you start to kind of lose perspective. I mentioned the same thing while my, you know, I have John here too is 
his his effort is first class and despite him not being like a top level athlete not even to be none of us are, none of us in this room are in the sense but they still have that that thirst and it's good to surround yourself with people and i find that it's almost like on the opposite end of the spectrums people who are just learning and the best in the world both hold on to that that attitude that 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 childlike thirst for for more you know mm-hmm. um Absolutely. Yeah. Let's look at that. We, did we just both a drink at the same? Wow. I mean, simpatico right here. So it's like two thousand miles uh, away. Okay, you can tell Pam I'm moving in. Okay, so that that's it, bro. New predator <laughs> in town, homie. New spawn. Um, it's too cold for you up here, man. That's true. Yeah. 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 Fuck that. That's Calgary cold. Now, it, and one of the things I want to um, want to ask you, and after mentioning all your teams and all the experiences you've had, and it was one of the questions I really wanted to. To bring up, I think it's one of the meat and potato ones. It was uh, what is it, the importance of uh, a good team and surrounding yourself in like a great gym, you know, meaning in, in your experience, uh, looking back, uh, not only your great coaches, but any standout experiences where you're like, wow, like I'm surrounded by fucking a great team, a great coach, a great gym, almost like that unicorn moment typically happens only a couple years in our lives where you're like, you know, uh, Louis speaks about it a lot that having a great team around you is better than anything else. Um, as far as all those years around, would you say anything stood out? So I've been very, very, very fortunate with the people that I've been able to surround myself with. Um, you know, when I was in Florida, uh, I was able to train with Chandler Marchman, who's, who you know, I was training yeah. at his gym elite. Um, and then, you know, Scott took over for him and, and that was always a tremendous environment to train in, not to mention my, my interns that I interned with while I was in Florida were all amazing. Um, when I was in Pittsburgh, uh, Coach Hammer was a writer for Elite FTS. Yep. So I got to train at Elite. I got to train at Westside. Um, we always, every morning, we trained as a group, uh, all the coaches. And then, um, you know, when I moved up to Canada, and, and, and that was kind of, for me as a powerlifter, that was the, the tipping point, which put me from, you know, an average run of the mill to at the time, you know, the, the 16th best total all time at 220, number eight squat all time. Um, I was training in a gym with, with Jay Nira, who, at, you know, when I first started powerlifting was the best 220 in the world. Yeah. Animal. I mean, Cade, one of the only Cade Weber. There. Yeah. Cade Weber, who was, uh, chasing Larry Pacifico's record at 242 in sleeves. Uh, Willie Albert, who held the all-time world record deadlift at 181. Um, there have been, I think, somewhere around 16 or 17 500-pound Wilkeses. There's been well over 12 to 15 uh, 700-pound deadlifts. Uh, there's been two 800-pound squats, I think seven or eight 700-pound squats. Uh, and none of us compete outside of that you know, 220, 198, 220, 242 weight class. So like that in itself, being in that environment, even if I wasn't training directly with them at all times, being in that atmosphere, it forces you to step up. And we, like, there's a lot of guys that came in and trained and they just didn't fit in and they left. And it wasn't because we were shitty people, but it's because, you know, if you're surrounded by, you know, mutants, you have no choice but to step up. I remember the first time I stepped into that gym, Cade was squatting like 675 for reps, and Jay was pulling 750 for reps. But grunting, swearing at himself, um, 
those of you who have never seen Jay train, whenever he whenever he has caffeine drinks, he pukes. <laughs> so he would like rip a few deadlifts over seven hundred, go outside and puke, and then just keep and going. I'm like, oh. Yeah, I'm like, oh, so this is where I'm going to train now. Oh, <laughs> man, that's awesome, man. And I mean, since moving to Calgary, I was really worried about like, you know, am I going to have a training environment? And once again, I just got so fortunate. I mean, um, I train at Calgary Barbell or the Strength Edge is, is the name of the gym. Um, one of the guys who trains out of there is Bryce Krawchuk, who's uh, one of the top IPF lifters in the world. Um, it was a, almost a 400 kilo deadlift. Uh, at 105 kilos, you got, uh, and now I've been training a lot with Ryan Selk, who I don't know, people might not remember Ryan because he hasn't competed for about five or six years, but uh, he was one of the top 220, 242 lifters in the world, uh, competed against Sean Frankel, Chuck Vogelpohl, all those guys. He squatted 970 at 220. Um, yeah, so I mean, I just, you know, I walked into this great situation here in Calgary and, uh, while I do think that you can do it on your own, there's really something to be said for the environment that you train in. Um, and I've just been really fortunate in that regard. And, and and just listening to the, I mean, I guess we could say that because you have traveled around. Um, I would attribute it to some luck and the fact that you walked through the gym doors, but you also were, you were chasing something. You were going to school, you were you're making moves in the sense that it happened to fall on your path because you're on a path to begin with. And it's something I bring up a lot to my people. It's, uh, you know, you can want something, but if you stay stagnant, if you're a a boat that's locked on on the docks, I mean, yeah, a lot of opportunity is not really going to, going to go your way. And just because you drive 30 minutes to the gym, that's not necessarily going to facilitate a great team or, Man, you can go across state and travel and train once or twice at a great gym, and it's enough to change your life if you just Dude, put the time in. That fucking drives me nuts. The people who say, "Oh, I don't have time," or that gym's too far away. Oh man! When I was in Ottawa in rush hour traffic, I would have to drive forty minutes to go train at Dynamo every day. Every that's every day. And I fucking did it. I didn't care. I didn't bat an eyelash. It was just something I was going to do. Yep. Here um, in Calgary, everything's spread out. It takes me half an hour to get to the gym. Um, but you just you just fucking do it if you want to be surrounded by great people you should do whatever you can to to facilitate that um and coming back to that you know positivity begets positivity so i think if you are pushing yourself and pursuing something great great things tend to happen success is a matter of it's it's luck and hard work right right you can't the, the harder you work the luckier you get and uh I think for sure that has to do with, with my journey. Can I ask you a question, Paul? You mentioned that. No. (laughs) Well, I'm going to ask it anyways. Jokes on you. That's Canadian for yes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, You had mentioned that you uh, do a lot of remote coaching and do you, do you find that you have, or it's a challenge to coach the athletes and then do you ever make them change gym atmosphere? Like, no, I've never had them change train or change their gym atmosphere what i will have them do is work on their mindset mm-hmm. i find <clears throat> the hardest part about coaching remotely is is learning how to communicate a little bit differently mm-hmm. um learning how to how to word your responses in a way that you know constructive criticism can come off quite negatively sometimes mm-hmm. um you know i had someone right back like you've never said anything positive to me 
And so my response obviously was, well, maybe you should do something good. Um, <laughs> I mean, you ain't wrong. Yeah, learning how to communicate has been, been the challenge, uh, but the mindset is, not, is one of the toughest things to teach people because powerlifting is such a low barrier to entry and success comes quickly early. You could literally have someone jerk off in a corner and they get stronger. Yeah. But what happens when you have to push Explains a lot here. to a point? Yeah. <laughs> what happens when you, when you get to a point where you're at that 400 Wilkes, 450 Wilkes, and your training ends up being a grind, pushing for numbers that are, you know, maybe outside of the realm of what you thought was possible before, that is hard. And getting to a spot where you can shut out everything and just grind in the gym it's not fun sometimes and teaching people that is really challenging yes i fucking say this I, you know what which is gonna it literally leads me remember we had called i had called you earlier in the week and one of the topics we brought up is you know when is it that you need coaching and more importantly not only as an athlete but as a coach ourselves um what one of the major signs for me and i was going to write it um an article piece and it's just great that we're going to bring it up now one of the biggest signs for me when i know i needed a coach is where i was either having i was just having too much fun and you know i i felt like if i'm going to the gym and i'm trying to compete and i'm trying to you know get a great place in at nationals and every time i leave i'm like oh that was fun i'm like there's something wrong because when you're really fucking working for something, 80% of the time, it's like not that fun. It's fun when you're done, I guess, like tattoos. You're like, oh, yay, you know, I bled for six hours. I'm good now. But it, it, it was one of my major things. And, and I, would, I would like to hear, and it's something we talked about, you and me, is like, what are some major signs you think of when, when somebody should reach out for coaching? And as a coach myself and as an athlete, both uh, stubborn and welcoming on both those aspects. Like I thought one of the major ones was like, man, like I'm, I'm doing what I want to do. And that's, that's a bad sign. So <clears throat> I have a couple of thoughts. The first being, I know my weaknesses uh, and I'm, and I'm, I'm very open about them. I have no idea how to slow down. Um, I will, if I don't have a plan, I'll be in the gym three hours. Doesn't doesn't bother me in the least. I will train until I have nothing left to give, and then I'll go home and I'll do it every day. Um, and that was that's part of the reason why I've been so injured. Like there was a period, so after I hit my biggest total in 2016, like that was my my 535 Wilkes or whatever. I trained from the day after the meet for 67 days in a row, above 80 percent. Whoa! I read that. Didn't and, didn't Jesus. didn't bat an eyelash. I just fucking did it. <sighs> and then it was like, then it was like, okay, this isn't a good idea. I need to hire a coach. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> my dog just jumped into my lap. I'm in, in a computer chair. My four hundred or my forty-five pound dog jumped. Into my lap. Classic. Uh, yeah, so I'm like, okay, well, at that point, that's when I first ever hired a coach. Before that, I never had a coach. And I ended up working with Chad Wesley Smith. The problem with working with Chad Wesley Smith wasn't his programming. It was me. I took every liberty I could. If he said, you know, four sets of eight between 65 and 75%, I was doing it 76%. Seven, yeah, I was going to say 75.5? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, when 
I worked with, uh, with Jonathan Bird, I made a point to not do that. And I had a lot of success. Bird and I, you know, we did really well and, and I hit a 1960 total with him. Um, but it, that had its drawbacks too. But every time I've ever allowed myself to go on my own for too long, I end up pushing the envelope and it's something that I'm learning not to do. Um, I recently just hired a coach. Um, I'll, I'll write about it later. So we'll, we'll save that. But, um, you know, it's because I have a really hard time figuring out what the optimal amount of work is for me. And I just need someone to point me in the right direction. I think as a coach, you need to be coachable. Yeah. I mean, if you're not, if, if you've not never leading. been coach, how are you going to know how to comp- communicate with people? Right. It's like an old military saying, you first have to learn how to take orders before you give orders. Absolutely. And uh, that's something like I've worked under people. I, I've learned from others. And that's why I think that I do so well communicating. But at the end of the day, I need at this point in my powerlifting career, I've had a couple surgeries. I've had a couple big injuries, torn both packs, torn my quad. Both my knees have been operated on. Luckily, my, you know, my back is still really good. I don't have any issues there. Oh, you bastard. But I'm at a point now where, like, I don't really know how much longer I can keep pushing my body to do the things that I, I want them to want it to do. Um, and I'd like for someone to hold me accountable and maybe extend my career. This is kind of like, I'm only 31, but I have a lot of miles on my body and I want to be able to accumulate more mileage. And maybe that means that I have to tone it back a little bit, but I know that if I'm on my own, I won't do that. Yeah. And I think it was something that you had said when you came down to the battle, actually, that was speaking of being smart is like sometimes you're, we're smart enough to, we're too smart for our own good, basically. Where oh, I can rationalize anything. Anything, right. And that, that's something anything. when I, I, I reached out to Leifa recently because she was somebody that, one of the few people, her and Chris, that I trust. But more importantly, I know I can't talk my way out of something. I have to, if I'm being oh, held yeah. accountable, right. And if I'm paying for a service, I know that I, I'll be told no. It's the same thing when I work with Brian, too. Is I just know that I'll just keep outsmarting myself. And uh, aside from that, I think um, one of my biggest observations of coaches in general is after programming 80% of your day, we typically leave ourselves for last. And by that point, I'm so mentally exhausted with stupid shit, I'm kind of like, eh, whatever. And I'll, I'll then at that point, I just kind of go, quote unquote, go by feel. But at this level of, of I guess you can say my, my sport age and my body age, going by feel is just, is dangerous. And in Strongman, it's even more dangerous. And I think well, we're very guilty of that. that. Yeah, and I mean... I don't get that as much because I don't, I keep myself under about 20, I, I keep myself at about 20 lifters and under 30 total clients. So mm-hmm. I never take on too much because I do have a full-time job right? and I do the coaching because I love it, not because I need to do it for the money. Um, so, I mean, I, and, and I'm also like super, super anal. So I write everything down. I, I know exactly what I'm going to do every time I go to the gym which is part of the reason like I'll program something ahead of time. Like I'll give you an example on Wednesday, I program myself to do five triples at uh, like four twenty on the front squat. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to do five triples. 
the first triple felt like I was dying. But you're going to do it. Because that's what I wrote down. <laughs> I mean, you can't erase it. <laughs> How dare you? Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then on the, I did pause squats after that. And I was like, oh, well, you know, I'm supposed to do 400 or 200 kilos, but the bar is 25 kilos, not 20. So I'm going to do 205. <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm going to do it. I mean, I cannot <laughs> not do it. I can't not do it. Um, and then I ended up like, I was, I was gassed. I was gassed. But redeeming quality, today I was squatting again. And I had a top set of six. And I was like, oh, I'm going to go for 500. I'm like, hey, that's a good number. But if it feels good at six, I'm starting with my new coach tomorrow. So I might as well do an AMRAP. <laughs> <laughs> ah, yes. But I didn't do it. Whoa! I, I racked, I racked the bar at six, and it was a good set, a good mental victory. Um, but this is like in the mind games I play for myself when I'm not beholden to anyone. So if I have someone looking over my shoulder, I can I can lift with reckless abandon because I know that he's going to program something that he wants me to do, and that will make me better. Right. Right. Yeah. So. If I'm if I'm you know doing it for myself, there's less of an onus there, and I know that I just love training too much, and I'll just do something stupid. Yeah, and and, and it it depends also too, like where it is that you're trying to use your training for. Like you said, there is an obvious and a very serious quote unquote time limit to what we're doing, and you know, and, and I quote unquote only because it's it's shorter and longer for other people. That's what she said, but I, I think the major issue is is how serious you're going to take these little aspects and, and, and considering that every rep you do extra, it becomes a ripple effect. And every single yep. training session, you start to get into that groove where, and I was, I was something that Serrano had posted too. And it was funny because we talk about this often, especially after just getting my back fucked up and seeing how that was more of accumulation of bad decisions where it's not something that you'll foresee. I mean, feel now, but four, four, three, four years down the line, of consistent extra rep, extra weight, going outside your programming, that kind of stuff, it adds up. And then when you're fucked, there's no going back. There's only so many withdrawals you can make from your bank account before you're overdrawn. That's my favorite. Yeah, I also, I, I also I, talk I really about my like anger that. bank. Yeah, that was the best. Your anger what, bank. <laughs> did I tell you about that one? <laughs> No, but I'm sure you will. I, I, of course. I mean, duh. So, you know, Brian taught us about the concept, you know, the withdrawals and this thing for the spine. So I have something called an anger bank, which I've mentioned before. But basically, when I'm about to get really, really pissed off, I put imaginary anger money or anger bucks, as I like to do, into my bank account so that I can hold my anger for a later issue. So it's amazing for coaching because as I look at you, I know you're about to piss me off. So I'm putting like $15 into my bank account, 10 five and i'm chill and then you do that one thing i'm like yes let me take a withdrawal 50 bucks and fuck you up and that's normally you know for the most part instead of getting mad all the time i only get mad sometimes you see that i did there oh man i mean it's Aren't success you a psychology major uh, absolutely and this is great yes so that's incredibly unhealthy whoa first of all listen okay pal i was told by a psychologist that this is amazing it's part of mindful practice. It's kind of, you know, it's not a, you know, university of the nights or whatever the fuck you went to, Paul. Anyways, so moving forward, uh, <laughs> this is a real science, pal. <laughs> right? All right. That's just, what are we, Leos here? Huh? What's your sign, pal? 
Um, <laughs> Scorpio. <laughs> Ugh, of course, you'd be a Scorpio. Worst. Worst. Um, Paulie, I want to I wanted to bring up something piggybacking on what we're saying as far as training and sure. things. And it was one of the questions that it was also in the comments on my Instagram, but also one that we had for you here. And I think it's one that we're all very familiar with and one that I think we bring up constantly in our podcast. But it was definitely the mental hurdles of being injured. I've obviously I've listened to you and read a lot of your work as far as your knee injuries and shit, man, overcoming a lot of bad decisions over the years. And I, I would I would. I guess I would like to have like a simplified concept on it. Um, but what were some of the things or some of the ideas you use to push forward? Um, it's never easy for an athlete to kind of minimalize these journeys because I think that being truly injured, it's what makes lifting so emotional for us and why you see a more seasoned athlete maybe get more emotional on the platform or have this unnatural emotion for that sport because they have lost so much. But Looking back at your injuries, um, what would you say is something that you used to overcome or mental mantras that you've used to push forward? Not really big on like mental mantras, so to speak. I, I find a lot of calmness in rationality. So I don't do well when things are outside of my control. So the first thing that I do if I ever do get hurt or ever do get banged up is, is try to return to something that provides me control or to rationalize the situation um, in a healthy manner of like, you know, why did this happen? Well, in, in, in this instance of my quad, um, I was having some, I wasn't, I wasn't even having any discomfort. It was pretty, it was pretty much a fluke incident, but I was dehydrated that day. I weighed in like three or four pounds light. Um, I was a little tighter warming up, but things felt good. And, uh, you know, four weeks out from the meet, I tweaked the quad. Now, why did I tear it? Well, because I decided to compete anyway. Um, that was just a stupid decision. So um, the first thing is figuring out why, why you got injured. Most of the time, there's, there's a root cause. I would say 90% of the time there's a root cause. Um, in, you know, I think a lot of the time we run into this situation of, you know, especially in untested uh, lifting, um, you do get too strong for your connective tissue. It happens. And if you don't manage your training properly, you fuck yourself up. Mm. Uh, and, you know, we've all, I, I think most of us will run into that at some point. But, uh, once you are injured, my biggest thing is find purpose again. So when I took my most recent injury was the quad tear. It was, what can I do that will still be really challenging mentally, um, will be fulfilling, but will not set me back. Immediately I was like, well, I'm going to get super fucking shredded because I've never done it before. I wouldn't be doing any movements that would annoy my quad. I wouldn't be doing any movements that I would know how strong I am at. So I can train as hard as I want. It doesn't matter if I'm using baby weights because they're all movements that I've never done before. And that won't be discouraging. And it ended up being a tremendous idea. I gained a ton of muscle. I've still managed to maintain my, my body composition quite well. Um, and uh, that was like the best thing for me. After my second knee surgery, um, I tried to rush back right away. I tried to push things, um, and uh, it just didn't work out well. I didn't. I didn't 
do well at all in the competition. Luckily, I didn't hurt myself again, but uh, I definitely wasn't ready to compete. And I think this past meet that I did, you know, if anyone follows me on social media, I got quite emotional after that. After that squat was was it an all time PR? No, uh, I could rationalize it and say it was because I've never competed walked out in two and a half meter wraps. Um, but it wasn't a PR. It wasn't over eight hundred. Um, but what it was was me realizing that I have control over what I do and I don't have to go into these extremist attitudes to accomplish what I want to accomplish. And, uh, I wasn't afraid and in that like, being afraid to bend your knees with 800 pounds on your back is fucking awful. Yeah, man, I could have, it's a terrible feeling. And, uh, I remember that walkout because the, the carpet was sticking to my shoes. So the walkout was really sketchy. <sighs> and uh, as soon as I set my feet and looked at the judge, there was no fear in my mind. And that to me was like, that was the biggest win I could have had. Um, the meat didn't go well because I had such a big adrenaline dump, but like, I didn't really care after that. After that, I was having a great time. And uh, so to get back to your question, is I figure out why, figure out the why of, of, of the injury. How did it happen? Could it have been prevented? If it could have, you better not make that same mistake again. Um, and then once you realize that you're injured, start going through your rehab and find purpose in your training again. If you keep beating on your injury, it's not going to heal properly. So get away from it. Do things that you can do that, that don't aggravate it and maybe facilitate the recovery. Um, and then once you're ready to push things again, make a concerted effort to do things the right way. And I think that's what I've done. Even recently, like um, I had my, we drove 40 hours across the country and, and my hip got really jacked up from that drive. Yeah, I remember you and, telling me. Uh, yeah, so I mean, I just backed off my training. I still trained. I just didn't do things that pissed it off. And now I'm back to a point where like my squat today um was similar feel and the same number that I did during my meat prep for my meat in November. So I know that I'm the same strength as I was then. Yeah, and then I, so, it's funny why a lot of us will probably, as soon as we get home and we're fucked up and after surgery, the first thing we start doing is Googling and asking what it is we need to do as far as like what happened and how we go forward and just having the experience that the strength will be there but the mental game is, is a forever game. Oh, it is. And I mean, you gain so much more. Like, I'm very proud of the fact that I am I do well transferring the lessons I learned in the gym to outside the gym because for me, that's why I train. Like, mm-hmm. The mental fortitude that I practice in training, I apply to my business, my coaching, um, my projects. And that's something that I try to, convey to the clients that I work with but like being injured is just like you know losing a business deal it's just like you know anything like losing your job getting in a conflict in the workplace these are all just bumps in the road like nothing nothing besides death is permanent oh, man. I mean a fucking for word, word for word, on which is the conversation I had this morning uh, at the gym. You know, we always stay after and chat. 
And yep. I was telling I was telling the crowd, um, just because, you know, a little shit that you get tweaked up getting ready for stuff. And just the body language, for example, I was telling one of my lifters, I'm like, no, nah, man, you're done for the day. You know, he's, his knee was tweaked and he's like, oh, and he kind of like sagged his shoulders. And I'm like, oh, you see, it's those little things. There's no such thing as little things, but it's those little things like that that's going to train you to fail in the future. You know, if you yep. react with body language and a poor sound, I mean, that is already, you're already defeating yourself and you're telling your body that you lost this, even though it's nothing major. It's like, it's exactly like you get in trouble at work or you have a bad day. If you come in with your slumped shoulders and a poor attitude, you're willing to get fired. And people show up with a better yeah. attitude for a shitty job than they do for a luxury like the gym, you know? Like you have a job. Yeah. Like you have a job. Yes, and you have food There's that you can pick up. Life is yeah, good. Yeah. <laughs> like, life yeah. is really good. And then you're right. It's like it. I, that was asked. You know, I was asked about that question. I said, "Well, I'll tell you. If you drop a pebble in the pond, the ripples won't go very far. But if your effort at first is big and purposeful and passionate, you're dropping a stone, and those ripple effects have massive, massive outcomes over the years." And somebody asked me, you know, for example, this year has been pretty successful for us in the gym. You know, having Ed Cohen down and having these seminars and his base comps. I'm like, the only reason why this is happening. Is because we didn't give up five years ago. And right. that's how I see it. And I know that, like, for example, how we acted with the spine thing and those bad moments two years ago and my bicep tear and all that bullshit. And you, same thing with your, your quad injuries and knee injuries. Because you took those as lessons and strides forward, now you're reaping the benefits of it. Yeah, I'm not going to make those same mistakes again either. Like, right. fool me once, shame on me, fool me, to, or yeah, whatever. That whole thing. Wow, George Whatever. Bush. Fool me once, shame on W. W. <laughs> yeah, it's a tricky ass saying though, dog. So I'm not even gonna like I have a hard time with American white sayings. I fuck them up all the time because I'm I fuck it up. I'm like fool Ah, you know I'll you know English. Uh, I was raised on good times, so you're good. <laughs> Hanging in the jury. <laughs> um But that's yeah, that's what I mean. Like learn from it. Take it, learn from it, move on. Yeah, and I, that really the gift of injury. That term, I mean, you fucking nailed it with that title, dog. He did. He's 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 quite a wordsmith. He's a cunning linguist. Yes. Oh, wow, I like that. Um, and and that's, that's the same thing that I told today. I was talking. I mean, you've talked to your athletes a lot and injury, and we all have our downtime, you know. And there's the first day or two, you kind of go through the motions. And you feel like shit, but yeah. that's it, man. It's a day or two, and you're like, look, I'm not dead. I mean, I have. Life is good. And it's like we talked about last episode. Life is good if you don't weaken. And I believe weakness is just a perpetual action. Like you can be weak for a day or two, but being like having weakness is consistent cowardice. It's a consistency thing. And that's how I see it. Just like, you know, passion and love for a sport is, is not a day or a month. It's years and thousands of efforts forward. And I believe that's what we see here when, you know, people deal with injuries is that consistency of positivity, at least in your case, rationality and knowledge, which brings like a sobriety to the injury rather than finally like falling down this like tunnel or like I was about to say a, a, a warp. I'm thinking super nerdy here, but uh, like a sandpit concept, you know, it's crazy. I, I will say this too. And I know there's going to be some people that might disagree with it. Uh, or some people will point at me and call me soft, um, to which I have a lot of different comebacks. But <laughs> I am not weightlifting. 
I am not, I'm not powerlessness. That is not something that defines me. It's something that I do. It's something that I find great joy in, but it is not who I am. So when I, if I'm injured and, you know, God forbid the day that powerlessness gets taken away from me, I'm going to be fine. I, there are many other things in my life that bring me joy. There are many other things in my life that I can do that are productive. Um, and that's part of the reason. Like, it's like, okay, move on. And let me, let me ask you a question. When hmm, I know I have, I know when I happened to me, but when did you come across that in your career? Was that something you started off as or, or when did that, when did that, like, no. that realization happen? Um, I think it, it slowly happened over time. Um, I, you know, I was going through a little bit of personal troubles at one point in my life when I went to therapy and, and learning about, uh, learning about my thought processes and things like that really opened up. Like, although it was, the therapy was geared towards more personal issues that the lessons I learned in it were really transferable to everything. And then going through you know, the knee surgery, not being able to train for like six weeks, you know, yeah. these things happen and, you know, there will always be something else. And you say it all the time, everything ends, but that means that there can just be new beginnings. Right. Every, it's like everything Nothing, ends because everything starts. Exactly. And, uh, you know, people will say, Oh, if you want to be a champion, you have to dive you know, head first to me, if I beat, if I beat the person I was yesterday, today, I'm a champion. If you beat the person you were yesterday, you're a champion. A champion is just someone who moves forward. Um, I, I don't like comparing myself to others, which seems funny because you compete in a sport where you're constantly compared to others. But I'm confident that if I just keep doing the good things, keep doing the right things day in and day out eventually i will be the best person that i can be and to me that makes me a champion and and, and it's oh man it's very it's funny man it's great how this conversation is, is flowing on this uh this perspective because i was talking about it today in that same concept like what are you going to do with your platform as a champion you know when i in my experience i had to come across that sobriety when i you know when i hurt my back for real and I was like, well, f what am I now? You know, if I'm not that strong guy, like I'm no, I, I went into that typical tunnel that we go into and it, it reminded me of this thing I saw recently on Instagram. I think Gary V posted it and he goes, if Instagram was to fall off the face of the earth today, what kind of value would you have? And uh, after two years, I laughed and I go, fuck. I said, that's cool, man. I'm a writer. I have family. I have a gym. I have a business. I have articles. I have podcasts. I have videos. I have shirts. And I'm like, Whew. and it came from understanding that I was much more than what I wanted other people to see me as that. I'm not, you know, more than the strong man. Obviously there's more. And, and it took me hitting bottom as far as physically to get that. And then yeah. I was asked to like, well, you know, Mike, like, how do you do it? Like, how do you put yourself in all these situations? I go, well, I, I man, I, I feel like it, what am I doing with this platform? Am I inspiring others? Am I, I'm not saying I'm this fucking 
great example to to model mother after. Teresa of strongman. Yeah, I would. I want to say I'm like a mother. I want to say I'm more like a. Let's say something humble like a Gandhi. Oh yeah, yeah Jesus. That's what I was thinking yeah, something. Sure. I don't want to say Jesus, but candy. like that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> something humble. Uh, uh, but you know, whatever. But uh, in in essence, like, what are you doing with that platform? What are you doing with your talents? And when you believe that, I feel that's when you start to realize that you're a lot more than that. You know, I see a lot of these people obsessed with their totals and that's great, man. Hey, if that's what you need to do, that's cool. But I promise you that when you get to that mountaintop, you're going to be like, well, what did I do with my time? What did I do on the way up? Not to be like one of those people who's like, oh, I read this article once and now everything that I do is centered on this article. (laughs) Um, But I actually recently read the book, uh, Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. And mm-hmm. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to sit here and, and pontificate about you know, being this philosopher. But the one thing that I did take away from that is that there is meaning in struggle. And your struggle can be anything. It just so happens that right now, my struggle is training. So mm-hmm. when training gets taken away, there will be something else that I find that challenges me. And I'll find the same happiness in that. But, yeah, and it, it really boils down, I feel, in our essence that it's really about that fight forward. And we talked about Absolutely. it in the episode, right? Like that is simply, that is the joy. That it's Move step forward. Push. As yep. long as you're moving forward, you are a champion. And, and it doesn't matter what those numbers are. I don't care if you go from a 1,100 pound total to 1,102 pound total, you scrape for those two pounds. Fuck yes. As long as you, doesn't matter. Yes. Your total, if your total defines you, you're probably a piece of shit. Right, and and you you probably need to cut down on the trend, bro, because it's just making you silly. Uh, and we, oh, that's oh, gonna yeah. be one cover. It's funny because I might I might touch base on something like that. But it it is this. I was listening to I don't know if you had seen it, but Wendler was with Dave Tate on the on the table again, and he had mentioned his top five rules. He said, uh, you know, you know, value or whatever. And his fifth rule, he said, it took him because he's got four rules that he applies to everything as far as training yep. is concerned. And he said he had this fifth rule that took him eight years uh, to put on. He says, typically, as you get older, you shave off things, which is true. You start to kind of get more in tune with what you desire. And the last one was balance. And it's funny because obviously it transcends physical things. He was saying if you're a bodybuilder, you should do things like powerlifting and, you know, movements. If you're a powerlifter, you should still have, you know, GPP and cardio. And then it, 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 it makes me kind of one of the questions we were coming up when you're on your chase for gold or when you're on your chase for, for the mountaintop and especially you being somebody that was, was actually at that point And now you see yourself in a different point, still going forward. But what if, what if, how have you managed to find balance in the sense of your work, your family, your loved ones, um, and continue to train you as far as your perspectives on that? Um, I would say that I'm pretty shitty at it still. (laughs) I would say that I, it's still a learning process for me. Um, I tend to bite off more than I can chew in most things that I do. Again, both the strength and the weakness. Um, you know, right now I, I work full time for an insurance company as a rehab specialist. I coach 20 to 30 athletes. And I have a really big project on the go with uh, with my business partner that hopefully we'll be launching within the next two or three weeks. Yes. But uh, I'm buried in my phone. Uh, when I take breaks from my day job during the day, 
I'm working on my project or my coaching. Um, I don't get enough sleep. Uh, and, you know, I am, I'm very lucky to have an extremely supportive wife. Uh, but I'm getting better at it. And there will be times when you can't be balanced because there will be times when your endeavors require you to be unbalanced. Now, if you're training for a meet, this is one thing that I, I think is hilarious. You're like, oh, I'm training for a meet. You know, life falls on the wayside. What the fuck are you training three times a week? Like, what the fuck are you doing with your life? What are the other four days? Yeah, like, anyway. Um, so, but, you know, your mental focus does wane. And uh, you need to put in, you need to put in the time. And, and I think training in a phasic manner helps with that. So, in the off season, there's less pressure. You kind of do your thing. You go to the gym. You come home, and and it's out of your mind. But if you are training for a meet, you know you spend all day thinking about that top set. You spend all day thinking about that session that you, you got to do. Um, you know, for me, because I train after work. Uh, business is business, and uh, you know this is going to sound cliche, but you know, my, cash rules everything. Around and, me, uh, cream baby, cream baby. Yep. So I mean. Uh, I'm working hard now so that I won't have to work hard in the future. Plain and simple. Yeah, and, and putting in, putting in the time. They eat your shit sandwiches, basically. Basically. And then that was that, I don't eat I don't eat bread, gluten free, baby. Oh wow. Okay. <laughs> well, this isn't Calgary, pal. Yeah, seriously. Jesus Christ. So speaking of which, uh, we just talked about him recently, but um, and that was one of the the bigger ones that I had, I had mentioned because. I feel like finding that balance is um, ends up being such a, a, a kind of relationship status with training. I had heard somebody once tell me, and I thought it was one of the, I forgot who nowadays, but they had said that when you're in a relationship with someone, that n- the love is never equal, that it is an unfair thing. Love is unfair in a relationship. Sometimes you're going to be the one that loves most, and sometimes you're going to be the one that needs to be loved more. And it's, you know, leaning on each other. Sometimes one of the per- person in this relationship uh, needs to be leaned on. They're the rock. And it's okay. You know, you're not uh, this esoteric concept of an equal balance of love in a relationship is bullshit. There's going to come a time where your partner needs more love. They need more support. You need to be the one that's making the breakfast and sending them the messages. And then sometimes you're the one that's going to be distracted or busy or distant. And the other person needs to lean on you. And I feel like that has such a direct correlation with training where sometimes the sport needs the love. You know, you need to put in the time, the effort, the passion, the words and the mantras and the, the music and the training. And sometimes that training needs to support you. It needs to go lighter. It needs to push away. It needs to not hurt you so much. And I'm a big believer in giving things kind of like these semantic titles because I believe the power of words is so psychological and yep. It's so important. Um, and that kind of reminds you of what you're doing right now in a sense where, they, it, like you mentioned, like, look, it's sometimes it's not balanced. And that's that's OK. Obviously, you search for balance, right? Like we're looking for that concept. Yeah. But I believe the search of the scale is what kind of keeps us going. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I really like that about, about the relationships. I mean, you got to have ebbs and flows with everything. Um you know, there are times when, uh, you know, I need Pam's help and there's times when Pam needs my help and being in a good relationship is one where you can play off of that. And, 
you don't have to remind the person. I think that oh, to yeah. me, that that's one thing I'm really lucky about is like, I don't have to, I don't have to ask to have things done. Like I was traveling the other weekend and she cooked, she cooked food for me when I got home. So like I had, I had all my meals made for the week. Wow. And you she's know? busy and as like, fuck too, huh? She's busy as fuck. And she did that. You know, it didn't take her very long, but just that one thought it was like, wow, like that's, that's fucking awesome. Or, you know, she, she, there's a couple a couple of days when she, you know, she'll forget her lunch at home. So I'll drive downtown and bring her lunch. Like, just little things like that. Like, I'm very, very fortunate in that regard. Like, my relationship takes a lot of, of, a lot of work, but it, it works it works for itself. Like, it's not, it's not something that I feel has ever been uh, neglected. And I think it also comes back to the way I view my training and view my business everything has a purpose everything has a place and i'm a creature of routine i plan everything <laughs> and uh i just had this conversation with a client of mine he was chirping me because he's you know he's had a knee injury and uh, so he's competing bench only today actually and he's like oh you know if things feel good can i deadlift and i was like why oh and he's like fun <laughs> have you heard of it no no it sounds made up and i was like yeah you know what you know what if it feels good go have fun you know pull a deadlift but i'm like man i I really need to fucking loosen up but at the same time but at the same time my routine is what keeps me calm my routine is what what allows me to to feel balance as long as i have a routine in place and things go according to that plan i'm good like there's no stress in my life Finding I might your have a lot of things going on. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Like, deep, I get stressed when my when my routine goes to shit. That's when I'm I'm like, holy fuck. But as long like I could do a million things as long as it's planned out, and I'm good. And and that and that's kind of um, I remember you having that interview with uh, with Jordan Shallow on his on his podcast. I thought it was really cool. I think it was like episode <laughs> fifty seven, and we had spoken about deals now. I love the technical side of it, obviously, because um, yep. I, I I've talked about this I, when I did my seminar on ten twenty strong man. I brought it up that I, you're one of my bases for this, and I really want to touch base on this on why not only on the physical, biomechanical, and metabolic state why we deload, but also because of external sources, which I had never heard anyone bring that up and apply it to the science you know you i'd always talked about psychological issues but you really brought it into play and one of the major reasons i would like to hear you know what you you say it in your words why you always are consistent with your deloads rather than i'll deload when i feel it's necessary so it plays into you know one big concept is the fact that we are a system of systems that work together you cannot you cannot plan your training in a bubble. Your, your training is directly affected by multiple factors, that many of which are outside your control. So to be able to reduce one of those stressors, training, will enable you to try and compensate for the stress that you've accumulated. So to recover. If you're consistently accumulating stress through training, stress through life, and all those things, there's only so much water in your glass before it's empty. So the concept that I like 
to, to apply is I'm going to fill my glass before it gets empty. A lot of people will, you know, empty their glass until there's, you know, a couple drops left and then they'll try frantically to re- refill their glass. If you wait, and this is something, you know, it is based in, in, you know, my understanding of the science, but you can disagree with it all you want. I know you won't, but many people will is, you know, the concept of maximal recoverable volume. Yeah, there is a maximal recoverable volume, but that maximal recoverable volume, the amount of work you can do and recover from is going to change drastically week to week. So why would I train as close as possible to that number and risk diving into the deep end of overtraining or overreaching when I could train a little bit further away, refill my water glass and be good to go? Yes, it's a little bit of a slower approach. You won't make gains as quickly, but in my opinion, it's more sustainable. Um, and that's kind of, that, that's, that's exactly it is you always have this balance of stress accumulation and, and stress decay. Well, your stress decay is really in your control. It's, can I get back into a parasympathetic dominant state? Can I eat enough food? Can I get enough sleep? Whereas your stress accumulation, the only one that's in your control is training. You can't control what happens in your life. You can't control when your car is going to break down. You can't control when you're going to have a fight with your spouse or when you're going to get an extra project at work. And for someone like me, where routine is very important to my stress management, training is the one thing that I can control above anything else. So if I manage that stressor, I'm putting myself in a position to be successful. And that's why I see the deload as being very important. And I, fuck man, that's exactly, and it, 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 it has a direct, in my opinion, it, if this is just because I agree with you on many levels too, but, and I don't feel like I need to be devil's advocate as I've heard the arguments against it. It's like, I feel like the people who argue against it, preach patience, preach smart training. Uh, and, and then they, they themselves train recklessly. Um, and I believe a lot of those careers are riddled with injury already. Um, I feel like for the most part, anyone who's been to the top of the game typically tells the same thing. Slow down, you know, don't train while you're injured, you know, and, and at first I was just bro science, you know, like, Hey man, just, you know, rest a couple days or because the whole goal by field concept was huge five or six years ago. I remember. And now we, with a further spreading of knowledge, you're kind of like, well, going by feel is the worst thing to tell an athlete because they always feel like training. Yeah, especially an athlete like like using myself as an example. If you told me to go by feel, yeah, but get out of the way. Yeah, I'm just oh my biceps fucked up. Cool, I'll just squat heavy. Like that's gonna help my bicep <laughs> at all, you know? Like yeah, and I mean if it comes one of your questions here is what would you tell Paul at his first meet? Yes, blow your roll, man. <sighs> I thought my first my first meet, I was like, bro, an elite total at two twenty is fifteen fifty five. At the time, it was 1555. I'm like, I could totally do that first meet elite total, and then I'll get sponsored, and then like good shit will happen, and I can come back and as a strength coach, be like, yo, I have an elite total, give me a job. Bro, I bombed. <sighs> I bombed on the bench. 
which bench press is stupid. <laughs> I really, it's the most boring Agreed. part, anyway. The worst. It's yeah. just the lay down bench, the lay down press. Strict press um, or go or, or go home. <laughs> I do love me some strict press, but uh, yes, I mean, what I would tell me in my first meet is is relax. This is a step forward, and everything I do now I consider a step forward. If it's not a step forward, I recalculate and I figure out what would be, and I do that instead. And, and it, to, that's that's probably what I had a feeling you'd say that because that's the same thing I tell myself like fucking like relax man and it, it it brings me to a concept John here had sent me a meme a while ago and it was uh, be careful of the knowledge you haven't earned and I absolutely oh. love that fucking line because there's a lot of people fast forwarding what they think they know because they read it and have never applied it and they they think reading is necessarily learning something. I feel like they're just regurgitating. Um, now, my favorite line is "knowledge without understanding is a dangerous tool." Oh, and, and it's and it's fucking, in my opinion, rampant right now. It's oh, rampant, yeah. and sure. it's it 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 becomes very like it sobers the lifter up or the coach up when they have a client get injured beneath them. That's when they go, "Oh fuck, now what?" That's when you know what a coach is made of, in my opinion, because you can throw all this bullshit till you get your lifter hurt, and then you're like, "Oh, okay, just ice it. Good luck. You know, we'll just we will voodoo floss it." I might be careful because you threw all this knowledge you had no understanding of, and there's major consequences with these people's lives. And it, it was one of my favorite concepts to bring up because it also makes me remember of something you had posted in your story a couple weeks ago, which we had talked about on the phone. I fucking love it and. You were said great, great coaches discuss concepts and then um, or principles, right? And then good coaches yeah. discuss like training, and okay coaches or no average coaches discuss lifts. And I see that yeah, now. It's I fucking amazing. I forget what the exact quote is. I forget what the exact quote was, but it was something along the lines of you know, training concepts and principles are going to hold water regardless of situation. But yeah. certain exercises, certain, you know, sets and reps and all those things, they're transient and they, they're, you know, forever dependent on other factors. Um, my favorite way to like kind of poke fun at people is like the people that, that bash Westside. It's like, oh, you know, Westside isn't good for raw lifters, blah, blah, blah. Do you even know what Westside is? <laughs> can you explain to me what the actual definition of accommodating can resistance is? Can you explain to me, you know, why they have 72 hours between their dynamic effort and max effort? Can you explain to me um, what a pendulum wave is? Can you explain <laughs> to me what circumax is? That can the, you explain yeah. to me, you know, all of these concepts? It's like, well, no. So shut the fuck up. Right. And have you even have you even read the fucking books, or are you going off by what you saw somebody say that somebody said on YouTube? I'll take it, I'll take it further than that. Have you even read the books that Louis read to develop a system? Oof. No, you haven't. I'm sitting here on on the floor in my office. I have fundamentals of special strength and training and sport programming and organization of training by Berkashansky. You know, I got periodization and planning. I got a whole bunch of James Smith articles. I got Charlie Francis sprint training. Have you read these books? Yeah, did you even give it a shot? I, yeah. Did you even try or did you read what someone else wrote about it? That, like, oh, you know, what did you read on training? Oh, I, I read the juggernaut method. I'm like, okay, but that's Chad's interpretation 
of the books that he's read. Have you read the books that he's read and made your own interpretation? No, you haven't. So shut the fuck up. It's like a watered down down. version of a watered down version and so on and so on and so on. And it's scary. All of these things are just people's interpretation of the knowledge that they have accumulated. It's like, okay, you and I are going to read this book. You and I are going to read Science and Practice of Strength Training by Zatsorsky. We're both going to read the book. Your interpretation of the book and my interpretation of the book and how we apply the knowledge contained within it is going to be different. We're both right. Yep. You know, and, and the whenever people ask me, like, you know, what what should I read? Uh, what websites should I read? Like, none. Go read a book. Go read a book. Yes. Draw in, draw in the book. Highlight in the book. Take notes in the book. That's and then, how you and, learn. And you more know. importantly, read between the lines, man. Like, what is the... What are the principles this person's trying to preach? What are the what are the concepts, the intangibles? Don't tell me what the percentage of speed training is. I understand. But tell me what this is really trying what is a, at least the principles of of conjugate of 531 of of these wave trainings like of of undulating periodization. What are you trying to tell me? Because the principles behind the training are what they're really trying to. The all the percentages and the sets and the reps are basically how you can apply it and that's what can be manipulated. But right. the concept and, and behind like, it is the big deal. And you don't have to know the biochemical, you know, behind it. You don't have to know the specific biomechanics of joint angles and things like that. But as long as you understand the principles and, and you can explain to me the concepts and the reasons, well, then we can have a conversation. But if you're tied to, um, well, number one, if you have an emotional attachment to anything we're talking about, our conversation's over because I don't want to speak to you. Right. Um, but if you are tied to a method of training because so-and-so said it, we're probably not going to get along because there are so many other factors that are involved in it that I'd much rather have a conversation with with someone who can talk to me about the, the grand scheme. It's like, okay, I want to get faster. Well, how do we get faster? Well, there's dynamic effort method training. There's contrast training. There's... Uh, you know, um, a whole number of, you can use accommodating resistance, you can yeah, use right. overload eccentrics, you can use plyometrics. Like there are so many different tools and the best coaches are the ones that have full toolboxes and that are always trying to accumulate more tools. Yeah. If you walk around the world with a hammer, everything's a nail. <laughs> That's a good one. That's good. I'll write that down. Yeah. And write I, that I, down. I definitely, I Don't just, think Ben Wilder. <laughs> write that down even though i hate ryan reynolds for destroying oh, you know what i'm go. about to go into a deadpool thing and I will, i'm he's, i will talk about it because he's like, the as pride a, and joy of canada first wow ryan reynolds Canadian, really? eh? yeah. yeah i felt like i no. first of all stop pamela anderson still is relevant no <laughs> i don't know yeah, what she's gonna be at comic-con next month are you Calgary going comic-con Oh, go. Absolutely. Are you going to dress up like Deadpool? Because if not, I'm never, if you are, you're never going to be your friend again, ever. I'd be your friend still. No, cool, John. That's cool. Because you like (laughs) Deadpool because you suck at movies. Um, I could could just literally talk about comic books for the next 25 fucking minutes, but. Do you want me to get Pamela? Because she'd love that. What? Can you you just let her put on, yeah, exactly. Kept him on there. 
Because she, she, Pam's his wife, not Pamela Anderson. Because oh. <laughs> John's already like, you can get Pam on our podcast. Uh, in my head, there was just Baywatch and Slow Mo. Yeah, put your dogs on and put Pam. Thanks, John, uh, thanks, Paul. We've had a good time with you, but let's get to the serious topic now. <laughs> they're way more, they were, they're way cooler. Than yeah, me. she's got a fucking gnarly spawn tattoo. That's, that's fucking, a, yeah. Like and it's, spawn? Like, that's spawn spawn. And, and it's fucking huge. Wow. Yeah, she's yeah, a beast. It's her whole, like, side and her hip. And then her, she has a half of a predator. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Why, why are we friends, Paul? You, you married up. Yeah, you married up, pal. Oh, 100%. <laughs> yeah. 100%. Next episode, Pam will need. Pam. <laughs> How's Paul doing? Don't worry about Paul. <laughs> and uh, so we're about to go live now in a little bit, but I, I did want to, um, last one, and, I, and I, it was kind of a subject that's whatever, but it's exactly on these things that we just talked about not earning, and it's something that we've talked about many times, but... Here's one of my favorite concepts now. When it says about knowledge you haven't earned, I laughed to myself because I said, be careful of the steroids you haven't earned. And here's my perspective. I barely talk about uh, drug usage in the sport. I just, I think it's such a beat up horse um, and a lot of people can do whatever they want from it. But I have noticed, and this is something um, going off with a video that Pete Rubish has said recently. It was a pretty interesting concept where at least in some aspects of powerlifting, he said it's become a lot like bodybuilding where aside from genetic freaks and hard work, it's now coming down to, in his, in his perspective, who can take the most drugs. And I know I'm, I, we're guilty in that in all sports, but I'm going to go back to what I've said before. And I feel like a lot of people having, having powerlifting be their first sport ever, like you're, you have a 21, 23 year old kid that's never done shit really. Um, and now sits into their first sport and they're a year in and you see them just fucking cycling up with something. And it, it's almost, I don't want to say you have, you earned this steroid because it, it's almost like I'm condoning it. But at the same time, it's, it's this rampant idea and philosophy. That's like, well, I'm a year in and I'm going after it. And I'm just like, fuck it. You know? So, you know, this is, we're going to be honest right now. This is powerlifting, powerlifting, uh, has tested and untested federations. And uh, it's kind of assumed that if you're going to compete untested, that you are partaking in some type of extracurricular activity. Um, I do have clients many times approach me asking about drugs. As such, I've done my best to educate myself so that I can give good advice. The number one advice is, are you being followed by your doctor? Mm. Plain and simple. Are you getting blood work? If you, are you getting blood work? Are you open and honest about what you're doing? Because it, compared to any other drug, you know, if you're taking an anti antidepressant, you're going to be getting blood work regularly. If you're take if you're an alcoholic, they're going to be taking blood work regularly to make sure you're not killing yourself. Mm. And a lot of the side effects that, that people experience with performance enhancing drugs are going to be similar side effects that people experience on other types of drugs. The number one mistake that I think people make is not taking care of their health first and foremost. Um, the best meats that I've ever had are meats when I felt the healthiest. Yeah. And that, you know, and that's plain and simple. Um, I personally believe that the earlier that people start taking drugs, the shorter their career is going to be. Um, Tony Montgomery said this, and I, I've been thinking a lot about it is 
he was like, yeah, you know, I, I would venture a guess that once you take a performance enhancing drug, you have 10 years. <sighs> you have 10 years to put your biggest total on the board. If it doesn't happen within the, those, you know, those 10 years, you're done. Yeah. And I was like, I think that's being too generous. I think it's shorter because especially, and, and the more, uh, the more reckless you are, the shorter that window becomes. Um, not only because your health deteriorates, but you know, your muscles are only so strong. Your connective tissue needs to catch up. Um, and, uh, you see these guys and girls, Oh, how old are you? You look like you're 40. Yeah. Oh, I'm actually 20, 23. Yeah. What? At 23 and I'm a, a 48 year old person on the inside. <laughs> Motherfucker, you look 30. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but like it, it ages you. It, it does. And you physically, it ages you aesthetically and it ages you from a health perspective. Um, yeah. Our bodies are very resilient and they can recover. And if you're doing all the right things, like getting your blood work and, you know, you're mitigating risk, but there's still long-term effects, especially with, you know, I'm not going to mention names or specific dosages, but there are people doing things that you would think like racehorses are doing. Right. Like 800, 900 pound animals do. Yeah. And it, 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 it bro, I've seen some of the, the, the concepts and the cycles of people. It's like big Ramey's cycle was like in season. He's taking 34 IUs of growth a day. I don't know if he posted it online what he does. It's fucking bananas. He's taking like ten gram like five grams of test a week. But it, it was one of the things I always tell people when they ask me about uh, steroids and and, 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 and why and I and it's it's not that I'm not duh, I'm not trying to preach who the fuck am I, but most certainly it's something I heard Dave Tate say once and it's like if you play your ace card early, yes. Your yeah. that was like the best concept. I'm like, you got kids it's a really yeah. yeah, you know, it's like you play it in high school as a fo- like you reference a football player. He said, "You want to play your ace card in high school, you might make college ball, and that's it. You play it in college, yeah, eh, you might maybe make it to the pros. But if you wait till you've pushed your body to the limit, now you're in the pros. You've you've used your ace card. You pull the ace out of the sleeve to push it at the end, like you're saying with the ten year concept. You got guys, kids pulling their ace card at twenty two, and they yeah, they I mean, fast forward." This- you got you got a kid just recently deadlifted nine hundred and squatted a thousand in the same meet. He's twenty three years old. Yeah, that's fucking like, bananas. Like that's bananas, and and like kudos to him for that accomplishment. But thinking long term, like how many more years is this guy going to have pushing his body like that? I don't know. There yeah. are outliers for sure, and I'm not going to sit here and pontificate say like this way's best and that way's best. Um, but. I always, whenever anyone approaches me with it, there are a few things that I'll always think. Number one is, are you being followed by your family doctor? Number two is get the most out of the least. If it's your first cycle, you don't need to be banging a gram. You don't. Take a little bit. See how you respond. If you're responding well, that's great. I get a lot of people saying, oh, you know, I'm heading into the last four weeks. The weights are getting heavy. You know, I'm going to up my dose. I'm like, why? You've hit your weights every week. Like, what are you worried about? Are you insecure? Trust mm. the training. Trust um, the program. Trust the process. So get the most out of the least. Um, and number three would be uh, in, in between your 
we'll call them blasts in between your blasts, make sure that you do the right things from a health perspective. And Eat clean, get blood work, do cardio, do the things you need to do to eat keep healthy. Your heart healthy. Yep. Yeah. And that's one of the questions we had here on the live is like, do you people do you think people even cruise anymore? I'm like, I don't think people really come off anymore. I think, uh, I mean, I, I even even heard the heard P, uh, the topic PCT in like fucking years, and that was all I ever heard. You know, I hey, have man. a theory about that personally, but I mean, you end up getting these people who, again, not to name names or anything like that, but it's like, okay, well, you know, on cycle, I'm banging two grams worth of compounds, that's <sighs> injectables and orals. But you know what? Two grams of compounds when you're using injectables and orals, that goes quick. Yeah. That goes real quick. Yeah. Well, what, what's your what's your cruise? 500. God. Which is, uh, is it really cruising? a lot. Well, considering, considering a CRT lane. dose is 100, 125, yeah. um, you know, that's, to me, that's not a cruise. Uh, as far as like going off and coming on and going off and coming on, uh, there are some advantages to both. Uh, I view it as a stressor. Uh, the research that I've done kind of indicated that coming off off fully is quite stressful on the body. Um, and if, if steroids are going to be a part of your life, uh, you're likely going to be on TRT anyway at some point. Um, yep. So if yep. you're being followed by your family doctor, that's a conversation you should have with them. Um, but I think a lot of the things that don't get talked about are the non-sex uh, hormone complications. So you look at, you know, guys abusing steroids and becoming hypothyroid. Yeah. Guys abusing, and so guys and girls abusing and uh, having permanent sexual dysfunction, needing hormone replacement therapy. Forever. Uh, you, get, you get, you know, abusive drugs that lead to diabetes. You know, that's one thing, you know, growth hormone, they're like, oh, growth hormone has no side effects. Growth yeah, hormone does. will fuck you up. Yeah. It and it's, you, it's you know, a, you, they do it for years. It, it messes up your insulin sensitivity if you abuse it and you can become diabetic. You can also get kidney damage. You know, these are things that people don't speak about. Uh, and just like every drug, it has a risk. And you should definitely educate yourself on what those risks are. And be honest with your family doctor so that they can make sure that you check yourself. Like that's you have one life to live, and do you really want? Do you really want to sacrifice years of your life with your loved ones doing the things that you love doing? To do the something you metal? think you love doing because you really don't know what you're doing, and and exactly. up, and it, and I say it a lot too, and 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 I maybe I might be one of the few ones to say it. But I'm a big believer that it ends up just being fucking drug addiction, man. And I, you want to, if you are studying like the the psychosis and the, you know, just the neurological and mental responses of of drugs over time, steroids and along a big concept end up becoming a drug addiction. You hang out with enablers, you know, you have your gateway drugs, you have your, your discussions, you know, it's just like, okay, that's all you take. Yeah, but this is what it is. You have your avenues to other things. You have your your chemical response your actually endorphin spikes your serotonin levels feeling after the gym how you look in the mirror these are actual like real results and it, it's masked under this and i get it man i fucking get it i'm not here to throw stones at anything it's just a fucking reality you mask that under this 
well, you know, this really means the world to me. I'm like, well, if you've been in the sport for two years, you don't even know what the world is. You don't know shit. And you've never even been fucking hurt. <laughs> Let's see how much you, you really want to juice up when you have a medical bill that's like eight grand. And how much of that you're going to plug in your butt cheeks when you're like, bro, I can't even walk. And it, it drives oh. me crazy because you're just masking it, you know? I'm going to, I don't really have an answer for this. It's more of a broad question. And I don't think there is an answer for this, but it's something that I think about quite a bit because, you know, I deal with, a, I don't, I don't coach a lot of people like to the skill that you would, but I have run into this many times and powerlifting seems to be a sport for the misfits, strength sports in general, the misfits, the people that are a little bit damaged, a little bit of a screw loose, you know, like they, they, you know, a little bit of pain-seeking behavior. Um, I've often asked myself, like, who hurt you? Right? <laughs> and why do you but, like it? <laughs> yeah, but so so keeping that in mind, you have a lot of people, and it, it's it's being talked about more and more as the uh, the mental mental illness in the sport. We know that steroids have a effect on your mental health. That's widely been proven, um, whether it's to the, the degree of roid rage and things like that, it's whatever, but it does affect your neurotransmitter production. So you get this drug and this high from training that is your one escape from the depression of your life. Why would you not want to push that envelope further and further and further and further? Uh, you know, I recently had a, a client Again, not naming names. He finished his competition. He went to his doctor. They put him on TRT. Six weeks later, he's telling me, you know, I'm depressed. I hate training. My body's shrinking. What's going on? And I'm like, man, like this is a direct reflection of your abuse of, of drugs. Yeah. And now you, are, have the, you have the hormone levels of a normal person because you're on testosterone replacement. Yeah, this is what being normal feels like. He's like, "Oh, well, I, I should just up my dose." No, like, no, motherfucker, you need to go to therapy. Yeah, you need to learn how to you, cope. You need your coping strategies. You need to finally deal with your your depression and your mental health. Drugs will not fix that. And uh, he ended up going, and he was doing much better. But like, no one talks about that. No one talks about that side of things. It's like. I think there really is a mental health component to the use of steroids and uh, maybe someone will come out and talk about it. Maybe they won't. Uh, it is pretty taboo because they are illegal. Um, but uh, it is something to think about as we transition our conversation away from that topic. Yeah. Yeah. And I, that's one of my biggest, it's just like psychology of it. You know, it's, 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 it's a way of, that is the avenue. That is the, that is the bowl. If you want to, to, to the high of sport. And you Your start coping strategy. Yeah. Your coping strategy is drugs and barbell. Yes. You're, I mean, look at what happens when people get hurt. Fantastic. Powerlifting is a fantastic um, antidepressant. It is a terrible therapeutic protocol. Oh, write that fucking down. Because right. fuck, I tell you what, and I, I talk about this. When you start to use it, like you were saying earlier, as your only form of identification, when it's gone, you're fucked. And it happens. How many times have you seen this, Paul, where somebody gets hurt and they're like 
oh, I think I'm going to, you know, I think it's time to focus on other things and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, so you're only going to like powerlifting when it's good for you? I go, well, well, what kind of commitment is that? That's a, that's like saying, okay, so you're only with somebody because they make you happy, but the moment you're unhappy with them, you're like, okay, I'm fucking done. You know, when you use that person as an outlet or as a trash bag of your, of your, of your, of your shit, and that's all they're good for, like a lot of people, not a lot, but many people use sports for, well, there has to be a back and forth. You know, it is a relationship with that. And you see them when it's just a coping tool and it's gone, everything around them crumbles. And I know because I've been there firsthand. Yeah, they end up breaking up with their spouse. They end up, you know, alienating themselves from their group of friends. It's like, well, motherfucker, you need therapy. <laughs> you need, uh, you look, need Jesus. We need, <laughs> well, hello. Uh, I don't know if you know, but I have been referred to as Jesus of Strength Sports. Jesus. 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 We have two very important questions here um, at the live, on the live one. Vinny wants to know if you're going to compete in Miami in November. No pressure, but it's on record now. But no pressure. No pressure. I would, I would absolutely love to do that competition. Uh, but like I told, uh, I told you last night, I mean, I'm going to let my body tell me when to compete, and I'm going to let my new coach let me know when he thinks I'm ready. And cool. uh, I'm just going to train. It's time to manipulate that situation, John. Mm-hmm. Let's remember this conversation, okay? And number well, two, you know who he is. Yeah, of you course. I'm going to be texting him all day. He'll be like, hey, you. <laughs> and then um, I mean, I know where, I know which one you're going to compete at anyway. But um, And also, this is one from the Meg Squid. Bryn wants to know why you abandoned her. Uh-huh. And uh, when are you going to bring down beefcake and meat to Miami? Hang out with the fam. So the only way that I can get the beefs and the meats to Miami is to drive them. Oof, and uh, that's that. a 57-hour drive, I think. What? I think. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to Google. I'm going to use the Google. Oh, the Google. Um, I, think, I think it's about 57 hours. God. Oh, my God. Uh, you want to meet halfway? So that's one day in Miami. What is halfway like fucking Thailand? Jesus Christ! That's the drive from Kendall to Winwood, basically. Yeah, yeah, the drive here to the yeah. to the fucking to the studio. About the same thing. Um, we're gonna move that over is, to. Uh, oh my god! <laughs> wow. Four. When you do gag reflexes like that, I mean, it's an estrogen hard on. So stop. Forty forty five hours. God. <sighs> 45 fucking hours, dude. Okay, well, wherever well, we in Saskatchewan. Did, we did 40 from Ottawa. <sighs> yeah, okay. Well, you know what? You can just come by yourself. The patience of Canada. Yeah, you have, I have a beanbag with your name on it. Paulie, we're going to go to some of the questions we got on the... Remember, I heard sure. you put some questions up on your story, and um, and I wanted I wanted to pick kind of the top two, top three of those, but we have some questions that we had posted on, on ours, sure. and... It was curious if we're going to ask you one now and then we'll just flow with that and then we'll just we'll close it off at sure, the man. end. So sure. Johnny's going to ask you that because his voice has the bass. Mine's just not. <laughs> he does have He's very like, like very sexual. Ah, uh-huh. I was going to say sensual, but sexual is even better. Wait, no, who's sexual? sexual? Is that me? You're sexual and You're sexual. I'm, I'm majestic. <laughs> You're a predator. <laughs> I'm, I'm a predator, yes. <laughs> so this is from our good friend Flip. Flip. Flipman. And he says, hey, Paul, can you discuss how you incorporate feet up benching into your training cycles and what are the benefits? Which I see a lot of. I've been seeing a lot about that. So I'm, I'm very curious what yeah. you think, Paulie. So uh, I have recently put it into my training. It's been something that I've used quite often for um, lifters who tend to bench with a big arch. Um, so when you're lifting with a large arch with your feet tucked underneath, 
you gain leverage through the decrease in range of motion from your arch and you don't get much leg drive. So if you take the feet out from under the bench, flattens out the arch and makes you rely on the strength of your arms, your shoulders, your upper body. So I'm big on removing your strength to, to make your lift weaker so that when you incorporate that arch again, your arms are stronger because of, uh, because of the instability of the feet up bench. I like to do it lighter for reps. So more of like a hypertrophy focus. I recently have been experimenting with it for heavier work. Um, not a fan. I, I, I made progress with the lift, uh, but I don't think I saw the same carryover I would have had I kept it as more of a hypertrophy movement as opposed to uh, a strength-based movement. Um, yeah, so I mean, I would use it, if you're someone who benches the big arch, um, it really, really leverages your upper body strength um, it forces you to rely on that so that when you do put that arch back in, you're just much stronger in that range. Good. I have to do the leg bench when I go full bro mode. We call those the Lieutenant Dan press. Oh, <laughs> yes. That's a good name. That's, that's a good one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do that on the board. Just like, who, who? They're like, oh, that's so funny. I'm like, yeah, I come up with my own jokes. It's so weird you said that. Because like I wrote it myself. Yeah, no uh-huh. one else helped yeah, me exactly. with that. There's no such thing as this podcast. I erased this podcast just to keep that joke. <laughs> now, one of the questions that, that we're coming up, it's by... Um, it's by Lexi, one of the lifters on my gym. You you work with a lot of my lifters yeah. nutritionally, um, myself included, which has been great. I've seen a, a big consistency, obviously, and being held accountable has been great. Um, and she's asked basically in a Gordo. nutshell, huh? What? El Gordo, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, what? No, shut up. You don't laugh. Hey, we. that's not funny. Um, <laughs> I'm going to call my mom right now so she'll be on the phone. She'll be like, Gordo? Um, and one of the things with Miami's baddest man coming up and some weight yeah. cups coming up and people's concept of refeeding when you, when you not only refeed, but let's just say in general with a carb up, like, can you give us some of the major differences or at least the, the benefits of literally having a clean, a clean carb up, getting ready yeah. for comp as opposed to the seafood kind of approach? So the number one thing is like, you need to know that the way you lose the weight and the way you gain it back aren't the same importance. So the way you lose the weight isn't as important as the way you put it back on. Mm. So it's all well and good that you get down to the weight class, but you want to replenish yourself in the most efficient way possible. That tends to be with sodium, water, a little bit of sugar, and then foods that you can digest very easily. The stupidest thing that people do is like, oh, I made weight. I'm going to eat a ton of bacon, pancakes, and donuts. It's like, well, donuts are sugar, right? No, there's a ton of fat in donuts. There's actually much more fat calories and carb calories in donuts. So what we did, like we'll use Lexi as an example. She didn't have a significant weight cut. I think it was like seven pounds. But, uh, Actually, I didn't even think it was seven pounds. But we did a small water cut. She ended up walking into the weight class. And then it was, great, let's put this back on. So what I like to do is you don't want to over water. 
So you don't want to drink too much because that'll just dilute whatever you're eating and whatever you're taking in in terms of sodium and you'll just end up continuing to dehydrate yourself. So we put a gallon of water with a certain amount of carbohydrates, some creatine and some salt. Then all of her meals were essentially the same meals that we had her eat leading up to the weigh-in, except with a little less fat and a little bit more carbohydrates. So we ended up overshooting our carbohydrates by like 0.5. So if she was eating 200, her carb up would be 300. In her case, with it was 300 plus that drink. So it was around like 350 to 400 carbs. Once the competition is over, fine. Eat whatever you want. Enjoy relax. It. Enjoy it. That's fine. But you're not dropping weight so that you can binge eat. You're dropping weight so you can fit in a weight class and compete at the highest level. Like, like I've seen so many mistakes where like, especially I, and I've made these mistakes too, but it's guys who will cut weight, weigh in, binge eat, and then show up feeling like water balloons on meat day. It doesn't matter if you gained all your weight back if it's all under your skin. Yeah, you're right. And nutrition and worse, especially in a sport like strongman where it's so fucking dynamic. Oh my god, I couldn't even imagine running around with a fucking stone on your chest. It's feeling like a water buffalo. It's fucking Get terrible. Out of here. It's terrible, man. And you know, especially the typically historically um, in strongman, the first event is pressing, and when it's overhead being bloated, it, it no, you feel like shit. It's typically for reps. Just to mention, you want to shit your pants. Yeah, which has happened many, well, not many times, but very fucking close. Like, oh, like, Saturday. You know, I've seen a few pants poops. Oh, dude. Yeah, and then the pukes. Um, yeah, and I, I think it, it, yeah. um, I'm glad you pointed that out about being consistent with what you eat. No surprises and no bullshit, yeah. man. Yeah, These people exactly. are so excited about the Instagram post on a fucking donut. I'm like, come on, dog. I'm like, okay. Donuts, donuts aren't even that good. Like, I, well, fucking donuts. Okay. I'm I'd, much rather, I'd much rather have a cake. Like a whole cake. Oh, man. Oh, my mom's cake. Oh, what kind of pie? I actually have a cheesecake waiting for me upstairs. Jeez. Like a little personal cheesecake. What, what are you doing here, Paul? We're supposed to be... You know, we got nothing. We got a food truck outside. Well, that's not bad. That's a Colombian well, I got food. a... Uh, that's good. I helped, uh, I helped a strongman, uh, female strongman. Uh, Calgary's strongest man was last weekend uh -huh. uh, at our gym. Oh, no shit. And, uh, yeah, so it was, it was fun. And I helped one of the one of the amateur girls cut weight to for her weigh-in she ended up she came second i think yeah. actually no she won she won the lightweight wow. so what what's uh let me ask you a question what are the 231 guys doing over there i'm just curious if i want to go up there and and win i guess <laughs> yeah, <I'm> just, <laughs> just kidding i'm serious um, just you know what do be my scout let's do some research calgary's strongest visit visitor will yeah. be jose has, <laughs> no, jesus has walked in and just fucking crushed calgary <laughs> Someone might, someone might get like mad at me about this, but I didn't think it was that impressive. Wow, we are set. Pew pew. Here we go. Uh, well, you yeah. know what? We're gonna edit that part out, and I'm just gonna play it on loop on my story. <laughs> <laughs> Paulie, you had some questions on your on your end with some of your clients. Yeah. Um, I'd like to hear some of that. Um, and then we'll piggyback on there and chit chat with that. Sure. So, um, a lovely woman named Susan uh, asked me why am I so handsome? And uh, for those of you who don't know, Susan's my mother. I was about to uh, fuck. It's a compliment uh, only a mother could make. Habibi. Yeah, she's, she's the best. Um, 
you know, I got to give her a shout out. She, uh, she's a badass. She trains like six days a week. What? Wow. Um, yeah, she's tough as nails and, uh, yeah, very, very lucky to have a great influence like that. But, um, seriously, there was one question that I really liked. It was, um, mental tips for training and meat prep. Uh, and the reason I thought this was a good question is because the person who asked it is one of my clients and, uh, he, I, I would say that he fell into the trap of, um, the results came early and they came fast and then the results slowed down, but there was a consistent increase in the amount of work being required to get those, those gains. Um, and there was, there was a couple external factors that went into that too, but the biggest thing with the way I train, the way I coach is that every week builds upon the previous week. So if I'm asking you to do a five by five at a certain weight, it's because you completed work the week previous that would dictate that a five by five at that weight would be something you can accomplish and that will build forward to the next weeks. So if you're in a meat prep, you start off with your goal lift, your goal third attempt, and you work your way backwards. So that way I know that, okay, well, this week I have 740 for three singles. I know I can do that, and I have to do that because if I want to squat 800, this is the next step. Um, during a meat prep for me, RPEs go out the window. Uh, I need to hit these weights for these numbers to get to where I want to be, and I won't accept <laughs> anything less than that. If I can't and I have to adjust the training that day, then we adjust the training that day and we move forward. Um, but the plan is always the plan. The mental preparation is always the mental preparation for that one day. Um, so it's having a plan, knowing the plan, and in this case, trusting that you are prepared for the work being, um, being required of you. It might be a grind. It might be it's like an RPE 15, but if you can accomplish it, you accomplish it and you move forward. Um, one thing that we ran into with this lifter is I would, I would say, okay, you have a set of eight at this number. I would watch his set. He'd do his seventh rep and then just rack the weight. Well, why'd you rack the weight? I couldn't do another rep. How do you know? Well, because it was hard. I'm like, but how do you know? How do you know you couldn't do it? Now, I'm not saying that you should miss weights in training because I don't believe that you should. But in certain circumstances, whether it's an RPE 10 set, an AMRAP, max rep, test, something along those lines, you got to try. You got to push. Um, the mind will always fail before the body. Always, mm. always, always, always. And, uh, you know, finding a true RPE 8 set, that's a fucking shitty set. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, in, in terms of like mentality, you, those are the times when you got to turn it on. You got to learn when it, when it's the time to turn it on, loosen the chains and go, and when's the time to you know dial it back. So that was a long-winded answer to say that you need to trust the training, trust that your plan is bulletproof, and follow the plan. That's it. In a meat prep, sometimes you just got to let you just got to let loose. Um, 
So yeah, that's it. Yeah, and I, and I believe like if that that question was being asked to me too, I think I'd say something very very similar. But and it's the consistency of again the consistency of doing that often and not just sometimes. Where like you you said if okay you know you're in peak week there's a reason why it's it's a peaking cycle you're you got to turn on that killer instinct you have to you know go into that gym with that that right attitude and those two three weeks if you approach it with you know with courage and fucking gusto are going to build on to your next peak week and then the next one after that and so on and so forth and that ripple effect as opposed to you're only going to go hard when things are going good for you but then the next peak it's hard and scary so you stop so now the next time you peak, you're going to remember the, the it's the recency effect. You're not going to remember the seven fucking great ones you had. You're going to remember that eighth one that scared the shit out of you. And it's going to start to deteriorate in this kind of like waterfall effect or snowball effect. So not to throw this guy under the bus because I give him a really fucking hard time. But uh, Bryce Krawcheck is the guy who, who I train at, train with sometimes. Uh, Bryce recently competed at Canadian Nationals, equipped. Um, single ply and he won the meet hands down and he went for a 400 kilo deadlift on his last attempt Shit. he's loaded this is the third or fourth time he's loaded it he's missed every single time he could not have come closer to making it without failing so he's at the meet he did he pulled it got it two inches from lockout and just was a little bit too far forward and missed. Now, I gave him shit about this today, half joking, but in my mind, you know, this is something that personally I couldn't live with myself. Two weeks out from the meet or one week out from the meet, he was supposed to do some front squats. He was feeling tired, so he skipped those front squats. Mm. Now, are those front squats the reason he missed that deadlift? Fuck no. He didn't miss that. He missed that deadlift because it's 881 pounds. That's why he missed the deadlift. But when I get to the meet and I look at that loaded bar, I want to know that I did every single thing in my power to enable me to lift it. If I missed and then I look back and say, fuck, I should have done this front squats. Yep. I, I, I wouldn't be able to. I would be, I'd, yeah. That, that would that would haunt me forever. Yes, that would haunt me until the next time I got that weight in my hands. And let's be serious, there may never be a next time that he gets that weight in his hands. There, I hope to God that he does. I yeah, hope to of course. God that he has another chance. There's no tomorrow. Sometimes talented lifter. He's th- this guy. He's he's incredibly yeah. talented. Dog, four hundred kilo. <laughs> yeah, I don't got nothing to yeah. say to that dude except that I buy you a beer. That's <laughs> yeah, four times body weight. That's fucking insane. So, but in that moment, he could not say yes to the question. Did you do everything in your power to make that list? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, so it, that's the mentality you need to have: is Am I doing everything in my power to be successful in the endeavor that I have undertaken? And and to and to bring it all together because I thought that was actually perfect to wind down into kind of our closing. Um, it, it I was talking about it this morning. It, like I said, when I was talking to people, and I, I I have a personally I know that let's say I'm gonna do a heavy day and I miss like one bird dog, and that one bird dog's missed to like you know two less reps on my single leg RDL warm up, and 
it, it also affects of how I put my gym bag down when I walk through the door or how I get out of my car. And I told the guys sometimes I'll circle around the mat like where I'm about to start warming up like 10 times because I know the moment that I get into my warm up, that is going to set the precedence and the message for the entire training session because I always feel that the way I'm warming up is how I'm going to be on the competitive battlefield. Eyes are on me. Opponents are on me. How is my face? How is my body language? Where is my courage? What is my will? Did I do everything I could? Am I exuding that courage? Like, do you feel it? You know, when you're in competition and you're next to that guy that's done or a guy or girl that's done everything they could, you're like, fuck, that motherfucker's confident. I want that. And I want to be that guy. And it starts by doing it every single time you step into that gym. Obviously, we're not all perfect and we're going to have our days, but if every rep, every warm up, every time you have a concept of what you need to do, like I can't even, sometimes it's even hard to continue without doing that single rep because when the end of the session is, I'm like, fuck, I should have just, I really should have warmed up better. My first rep shouldn't have been so shitty or I should have gotten off the phone earlier. And these are the concept that I feel will build that mental courage because that's the, to me, that's the answer of how. You know, you want to say, okay, you got to turn it on. Well, this is, this is how you do it. And it's going back to a lot of things we talked about today, falling forward and positivity beginning in purpose, right? I mean, how can you fall forward without purpose? Right. And And you have intent in whatever you're doing, whatever you're doing has to have an intent and you need to be present in that moment, present in what you're doing. I fall victim personally, like I'm a fun guy for the most part. So I have to turn it on and turn it off, right? So in between sets, I'm a fun guy. As soon as I put my belt on and I touch the bar, there's no more fun. Right. Same. Except lifting weights is really fucking fun. Except I'm but, mostly uh, unfun most of the time when I'm training. I'm like super fucking yeah, you're a big. You're a big bitch. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You talked to me once. I don't know. I, I remember your, your heart on when you saw me lift, whatever. It was like a super heavy 315 deadlift. Wow. <laughs> Actually, it wasn't. It was pretty, it was pretty hot. Whatever. It's just another day in my life, in <laughs> Jesus' life. And yeah, it, 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 I, I always tell people my training with me when I'm like on a serious event day is I'm super passionate about my lifts, basically because I, I know what it is not to have them, but also. Like there is no tomorrow in the next, like, you know, when you put on that belt or not put it on my, I put on a certain song or whatever, like there is no other rep because obviously, especially for me, that, that could be the last one. And I'd, I'd, I'd like to, to really thank you for coming on on the show. Um, I thought I'd have a fucking cool time listening to your perspective and having our jokes again and having that ebb and flow of give and take and, and breaking barriers. And Paul, if you sure. want to drop any information on where we can find you as far as Instagram and um, I really look forward to your business venture uh, with Jay going forward. I know what it is, and I'm really excited for you. So if you want to kind of see where we can find, find you and, and follow your success onto the next meet, possibly November, but whatever, um, <laughs> no pressure, and then and just let us know a little bit. Sure. So uh, on Instagram, you can find me, Paul O'Need, at Paul O'Need, O-N-E-I-D. Um, for my coaching services and uh, – I'll be putting up a blog with some articles and training logs on my website, masterathletic.com. Um, and then uh, if you want to check out the business venture that I have with Jay, uh, it's one dash, like the one, the number dash lifeinc.com. 
um, you can go check it out, see what we've been working on, uh, and that should be uh, coming out within the next month. So it's be really, uh, really exciting. It's a project we've been working on for about five years now, finally coming into fruition. So yeah, we've just been, uh, we'll just keep training and uh, we'll see. November in Miami would be much nicer than Miami and Calgary. Yes. Um, it's uh, it's actually not that cold out here. I'm going to be honest. It's, what? It's pretty nice. It was like 55 today. Oh, Are that's you, cool. Are you yeah, but then that's next week here. it's like two degrees, bro. <laughs> Um, so yeah, bro, I'm sweating balls. <laughs> what? It was 55 degrees. I was in sweatpants and a hoodie today. Um, so <clears throat> in closing, again, this has been a great episode with Paul O'Neill. Johnny Banks, <clears throat> thank you for being a great co-host. And a lot of people don't know, but John helps me write the outlines and kind of keep my, my mental uh, quantum physics mentality of everything and everywhere at once and keeps it in line. So thank you, Johnny. My pleasure. And um, we're going to close up this episode with uh, my favorite line of, of the whole time is positivity begets positivity in the strength world where typically negative attitude is rewarded and they think that's what you need to go forward in this world of physicality. Let's keep it positive and fucking be a force. So this is uh, MVOP. Everybody love everybody. <laughs> well, chill out with that hippie shit, mm. Paul. All right, this isn't Canada. <laughs> no trees around here. <laughs> this is MDLP, the Battle Ass Podcast, saying don't be a pussy. Everything ends.